0: Hello. Good morning. I apologize in advance. I'm pretty sick, so I don't have much of a voice. Thankfully, I'm on spring break this week, so I don't have to actually teach or else I don't know what I would do.
1: Right. <laughs> no, no. Well, you sound good to me and you know, a good gravelly voice would be good for the podcast as well. <laughs> um, you know, you know, you'll sound really cool. And thanks again for being willing to meet over um, spring break. Yeah, um, no I know problem. that, you know. It actually yeah, works out. It actually works out better because
0: if this was a typical Wednesday, I have office hours. So I normally would have um, meeting after meeting with students. So
1: actually. Brian, right. What's your teaching load like this semester? I teach a 4-4. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah so I teach. Right.
0: I basically teach all day on Tuesday and Thursday. And then Wednesday mm-hmm. is my office hour day. But right. my students do presentations. So I meet with them. I also meet with them on Mondays and on Fridays, um, depending on how their schedule works. I try to be flexible, which stinks for me.
1: Right. Uh, it kind of sounds like you just meet with them all week. <laughs> like like all in week. reality.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to um, Society for Military History conference next week. So. Oh, awesome! I've been working on my conference paper. Actually, I finished it yesterday, so I sent oh, it. Away. So. Excellent. Pretty busy.
1: Is it related to Letters to Lizzie, or is it um, your next project?
0: That's my next project. I I wrote a chapter in uh, a friend's book that's coming out later this year. It's about um, Civil War soldier obituaries. Interesting. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So my plan is I'd like to expand it into a much larger, um, maybe book length uh, project. So I've been building a database. Um, and I'm looking for patterns now of the themes that I found in, in the chapter that I wrote. I'm now looking for, for patterns. Um, how often was patriotism a theme? Um, was religion a theme, you know, more at the beginning of the war and patriotism later in the war? Does one side um, use one theme more than the other side? So these oh. are the things that I'm you know that I'm looking at because I found in in a number of confederate uh, obituaries you know the, the references of of repelling the invaders and defending right. the soil and things like that I've seen um actually in obituaries from both sides I've seen the flag used um as kind of a connection to to patriotism so it's I don't like using the word fascinating when reading obituaries but it's interesting yeah. <laughs> um, and it's depressing yeah. reading obituaries, you know, hold up in a in a room all day and, and um, putting them into a database.
1: No, I remember the first time I read This Republic of Suffering, it was such yeah. a tension because I was like, oh, this is so cool. But it's also so sad. <laughs> like, like I could only read like a couple chapters at a time because I was just like, oh, this is just taking it out of me. And then I think they made like a documentary based on it. And that was just so, yeah. brutal. Like, like as soon as you turned it on, it was just this this gut wrenching letter. That's a really interesting project. Are you doing like data analytics with it? Are you doing like any word processing? Or are you just sort of combing through and ticking off like okay, they talked about the flag, they talked about this thing.
0: Yeah, so I'm still pretty early in the in the database building. So, right, I'm kind of tweaking it as I go along. Right now, it's just. I've identified a number of themes that I saw in the work that I wrote almost two years ago now. Mm -hmm. In my mind, they're going to be sort of the the big themes that I focus on in in the larger project. Mm -hmm. But I'm finding as I get deeper into into, or or more into the the database building, I'm finding more sub-themes within the larger Mm -hmm. Topics. So I just actually added a new category where I can just write myself notes because I'm starting to actually, I've read so many now, I'm starting to forget which ones are which. So I'm writing myself notes of of different things within, you know, a particular obituary that I found interesting that I would like to highlight. I really would like to have a research assistant like I had on my Lizzie book. Right. Yeah. um, But I'm worried that a grad student's not going to pick up on all the same themes that I will. Right. And it means it's no offense to them, but I know what I'm looking for. Um, I just was blessed with the research assistant I had with my Lizzie book. He just was perfect. He just, he was perfect. He's actually doing his PhD now. He's at St. John's. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. So I had lunch with him uh, two weeks ago. He was in town. So I had lunch with him. Yeah. it's nice. And and I really enjoyed working with him and there's no way I would have ever finished the Lizzie book while I was on sabbatical without him.
1: Right. Well, I, I really noticed in your, I, I read your acknowledgements really closely that it was kind of like, it, it's a big project, you mm-hmm. know, like only your name ends up on the book, but um, that can often sort of, block the 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 point of view that shows everyone else who was a part of it and undergrads were working on it um and 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 it's funny that you say that sort of how research projects can sort of just continue to roll over roll over and you can keep entering different dimensions i was just um i was getting a drink with a couple of graduate students from the ecology department and we were talking about um theses and dissertations and their question, uh, because I was with another history graduate student and and the question was, why are history dissertations so long? And at first I was just like, well, historiography, that's going to, especially in a dissertation, that's going to eat up a lot of it. Um, But also just the fact that you keep hitting those, those dynamics that you just talked about, that it's like, you think it's like, okay, I'm just going to talk about the flag, but then if the flag has critical delineations along Northern and Southern lines and and so on and so forth, and it keeps rolling. And, and definitely no offense taken in terms of the graduate student side of it, Um, you know, like, because like we're. Here to learn, you know that's the whole pr- that's the whole purpose of being in this institution is, um, and especially working with a specific individual trying to figure out what they're looking for. No, I think it's it's tough. It, it's going to take a lot more time, but I think it, it'll be better for having you know just your eyes on it.
0: Yeah, it's funny when when Will that was my research assistant when he and I first met. I had in my mind what I wanted the finished product to look like, and I tried to articulate that. And then after we finished, he's like. I get it now. He's like, I had a hard time kind of grasping the the previous summer, you know, what you, you know, how you wanted this to look. And he's like, I get it now. But it was funny because he came one day uh, here to my house and we had like a little barbecue and he met my, my, my wife and my kids. And then I took him because Lizzie's grave is not that far from my house. So, right. and a lot of the soldiers are buried pretty close to, to where I live. So we went almost like we went cemetery hunting for, you know, quite for part of the day. And I'm like, Oh, here's, you know, here's so-and-so's grave. And in the Bethel church, which of course is, you know, pretty central to the Lizzie story, right. Lizzie's buried there. Edwards buried there. Uh, William Carr's buried there. But a lot of the people that they talk about in the letters from the community are also buried there. So we're walking around the cemetery and he's like, Oh, here's Amy heritage he's like, I remember her and here's so-and-so. And it's just funny. And I just started laughing because they all stuck with him too. And he, you know, you know, he got almost in a sense, got to know all of these people. Um, and it was just funny because I thought I was the only one that, you know, I really, you know, all these people kind of stuck with me and I'm like, oh yeah, this is how all these people connect. But it happened to him, too, during the year or so that, we're, that we worked together.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and like the social network is a social network. It's just relationships between individuals, but I think it's fascinating to sort of go to the graveyard and actually see it visually (laughs) depicted. Right. That is sort of just like, Oh, this, this is the person that you're talking about. And um, in particular, that's why I was so excited to talk to you because especially going through private voices, I've noticed this pattern of the social network over and over again. And actually for a while I've been taking notes of all the time soldiers remark on the fact that they went over to another regiment's camp to go talk to a friend, an acquaintance, a cousin, whatever. And I'm interested in it because to me, this is a military camp. You really shouldn't be able to just leave one camp and go into another willy nilly. There should be guards sort of stopping you. But I think i I always really, really wanted to talk to somebody about this because it seemed like I felt like I was the only person noticing it. So when letters to Lizzie came, I was just like, yes, you yeah, we we have you know someone who's actually sort of taking the time to reconstruct the back end of the social network because so often you you kind of get the you know the front end with soldiers sort of they're talking about, oh, read this letter to.' you know, William Dillon, read this letter to, you know, like to take this up over there, or I just saw this guy from the hometown, or even people that they don't know but are from adjacent regions. So it was so gratifying. And, and I'm so excited for this conversation to sort of like, let's like actually talk about these social networks and and, and think about, you know, what they mean as categories.
0: Is that what your dissertation's gonna focus on?
1: Uh, no, no. So uh, my dissertation is on the cultural history of tobacco in the 19th century. So I'm kind of focusing on a little bit more of like a transatlantic context and, and and going farther beyond the Civil War era, in particular, more until, you know, 1800 to 1820 to 1840, kind of that delineation. But no, I went to Gettysburg College to, to study the Civil War, uh, you know, studied with Pete Carmichael, who I I know, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm definitely like, and, 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 and I've written a little bit, for the Civil War monitor. So, like I said, I think I my my dissertations on tobacco, but my primary interest is definitely the Civil War and and I'm hoping as I kind of go on the market to bill myself as a Civil War historian. Um, you know, I have done some work with Confederate monuments, but no, I'm a little bit all over the map thematically, but I've spent a lot of time doing Civil War era stuff and I'm very comfortable um with the historiography and talking about these different kinds of things. That's really interesting. I'm actually on the
0: faculty at CWI this summer. Oh, are you really? Yeah, yeah. It's it was my number one thing on my professional achievement list. It was the thing that I wanted more than well, I guess tenure is the thing I wanted the most. Right. (laughs) But after 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 tenure. The CWI is up there for sure. That was it. Yeah. So the last eight years of my career, I don't really have anything else now to yeah, <laughs> yeah, to kind of strive for. So, yeah, um,
1: no, I, I remember when I was at Gettysburg, I remember talking with one of my friends who was also big into Civil War history. And that was our well, our dream was just to present at the CWI summer conference is sort of just like we don't want to like pull strings or anything like that and, and and no nepotism but it's like on our own merits we want to come back and present at the CWI um no yeah. it's such a it's such a great conference i really love it. i i went in the summer of 2019 i think and i saw Gary I oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. And, and i remember um Gary Gallagher's conversation with um with 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 Pete and that was sort of that was so illuminating, especially when he talked about methods and, and and things like that. And, you know, as an undergrad, I'd, I thought I had it all figured out, you know, how to do everything exactly what we said before about being a graduate student. It's just all about learning. Um, but were you one of the students that set up the display? I was. I was. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, how about that? I did the- I probably ran into you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I didn't know you. That's funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think that's another thing I just love about the Civil War era studies community It, it is that it is so small and sort of tight knit. Um, and, 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 and part of the reason why I wanted to make, well, I guess it's not small. I think it's actually a, a pretty large sort of sub community within uh, American history. But I just love that it's tight knit in the way that, you know, Everybody knows each other. Pete knows Dr. Barry knows Dr. Yu knows Carrie Janey, you know, all these different individuals, um, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely not six degrees from Kevin Bacon, but you're, you're pretty close and and, and everybody's always willing to share.
0: And I, I, I really like how approachable everyone is yeah. there. Um, Pete, Carol Reardon and I last summer at CWI, we sat outside on a bench and talked for like a half hour. Yeah. And- I I was texting one of my friends and um, I'm like, I asked Dr. Reardon if I could take a picture, a selfie with the two of us. And I'm like, I just hung out with Dr. Reardon for a half hour with (laughs) no one else bothering us. And when I was at the Civil War, the Civil War Society, Civil War Historians Conference was in Philly last summer. Right. Um, I didn't present, but I just went as, you know, as as a a regular person. Now you're Um, close enough. And I went there to, because some of my friends were, like Judkin Browning was presenting. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, Michael Gray was there who teaches at East Strasburg. Um, Lorraine Foote was there. And every time Lori and, and I are at Sync Conference, we get together for, for dinner, and she yeah. was very integral in helping me get the Lizzie book um finished. I'll actually see her next week in San Diego. Yeah, but um I was sitting and waiting because a bunch of us were going to dinner, and I was sitting and waiting, and then I saw Dr. Gallagher and um he came, he sat next to me and we talked for probably a t- like 20 minutes and at CWI, I don't think you can get 20 seconds alone with Dr. Gallagher without someone else coming up and talking. Right. And for like 20 minutes, we just sat um, on a little, a little like bench and we just sat and chatted and it was, it was great. Cause here's someone I've been reading, you know, going back to undergrad and, and and, you know, I've met him at CWI and I've talked to him for a couple of minutes here or there, but to actually sit and talk to him for so long, it was so, it was just so great. Um, you know, and I get a little fanboy, you yeah, know, no, at, some exactly. of, <laughs> at some of these things. Like what when I was in, when I was in grad school, I went to Villanova, mm-hmm. we were allowed to take classes at Temple and, mm-hmm. and Russ Wigley taught at Temple at that, at that time. And he was the number one, uh, the number one military historian in the country that people sent their kids to Temple to study uh, under him right? and to study under him and to, to, to see how approachable he was and, and to, you know, he's the, at the top of his field and, and just how giving he was and, and you could just sit and talk with him. And, and I learned so much from him and I remember he's like you don't sink your teeth into the historiography enough and I'm like who am I to criticize these people like, exactly oh I'm like you know I, I've done nothing who am I to criticize he goes that's your job yeah. you, you know if you find something wrong you criticize it or or something you question it and I'm like okay so you know like he really almost in a sense, gave me permission to, because up until that point, and you mentioned the historiography earlier with your dissertation, I was just like, what do I have? what, what right do I have to criticize right. someone else? You know?
1: Right. And I think especially like, as, as you do more of the work, you kind of realize like, you know, the amount of work that it goes into it. And and I personally get uncomfortable with that sometimes it's sort of just like, I know that you've put in a ton of work on this too, but um no, I I, I absolutely feel you about the sort of like pseudo fanboy, um energy <laughs> around a lot of the civil war figures. I remember um when I was, it, when I was, you know, calling different places where I wanted to go to graduate school, I got like Mark Smith on the phone and I had like a 15, minute conversation with mark smith and of course you know I, I i'm huge into sensory history especially relevant with the tobacco stuff and you know yeah. i had kind of the same feeling so it's like i say never meet your heroes but i feel like in, and and maybe they're not your heroes but i feel like in civil war history it's a pretty safe bet that you're probably actually going to have a pretty good time you know meeting yeah. a lot of the um the, the the historians that you really revere and admire it was Even
0: was like when i met it was like when i'm i'm sorry to interrupt you it was even like when i met steve burry at I I'd never met him before until CWI in 2019 and I did the dine-in with him and chatted with him and then he and I we sat like in the little lobby there you know at, at during one of the breaks at CWI and we just chatted and I told him all about my Lizzie book and and at that point it was just an idea mm-hmm. in my you know rolling around in my brain I had done a presentation on it at, at Society for Military History right but um I had very little written. I was still shopping around for a publisher and, mm-hmm. and um, he was really interested in it. I think because of private voices, you know, and, and and the, the quality of the letters I, I was trying to explain to him, because he had done a presentation as you were aware, he did a presentation about the letters and private voices um, um, uh, at the CWI that year. Yeah. And um, as he was presenting, I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like the letters that, I'm reading or pretty much in line with what he's talking about on stage.
1: Yeah, you really can't go that far. I mean, as you know, as well, you really can't go that far in private voices without sort of finding these networks. But I think what can be so frustrating about private voices, and I think why Letters to Lizzie is a really good complement to private voices, potentially, if anybody wants to use this, you know, the the two in conjunction as a pedagogical tool, uh, Mm -hmm. is that, uh, like I said, you don't get the back end you 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 only get one sort of author within the network. and we definitely do have larger collections that 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 do kind of get to those dynamics. but um letters to Lizzie kind of like actually hones down on the social network and explains the connection between all of these different groups. and that's
0: that's what always fascinated me and I know you have a ton of questions that we need to get no. to <laughs> that's that's really what fascinated me about the the collection. I, I actually was introduced to the collection when I was an undergrad, I used to volunteer at my, at the local historical society, which now I'm the president of. Right. Um, but I volunteered there when I was an undergrad and I worked in the military room, you know, cataloging the military items that we had. And sometimes I'd hang out and that was in the museum. And sometimes I'd hang out in the library with the, with the librarian and, and Mrs. Holly, Edith Holly, she had been the librarian going back to the I guess the late 1960s, early 1970s. She just was a remarkable human being. She, I, I, I tell people, Mrs. Holly passed, I don't know how many years ago now, maybe 10, 15 years ago, something close to that. And I tell people I've worked with a lot of brilliant people in academia. Mrs. Holly would rival any of those in the amount of knowledge that she had she was so sharp even the last time that i saw her after she had retired Mm -hmm. she would volunteer the library and i I would see her and like oh edie and i would ask because i would always have questions for her and then when i saw her i would just unload you know because that it was much easier to me having to look them up because she just knew everything Mm -hmm. and she just was such a, a a wonderful person and and just this this wealth of knowledge um and she introduced me to the tom letters Mm -hmm. and to the lizzie letters um and i used the lizzie letters for my senior seminar paper um in undergrad Mm -hmm. and then i was supposed to use uh the letters for my master's theses when i was at villanova but this is recorded so i won't Explain. I won't go into any you know more detail. It just never happened. But my idea was that my master's thesis would be a much shorter version of what the Lizzie book ended up being. And then because that didn't happen, because I had a falling out with the chair of the department, I just put the Lizzie stuff on hold for years. Mm. I just put it on the back burner because I kind of lost the passion for it, and then. After I had gotten hired in academia, I started looking into the Tom stuff. The Tom stuff was really only just supposed to be an article because as I mentioned in, in the Tom book, the historical site, only has 31 of Tom's letters. So I was just going to write a short article on him. And as I was, as I was working on it, I had gone to the Richmond battlefield with my first wife and we took a tour of the Richmond battlefields with um, Bobby Crick. And um, he emailed me at work and he's like, hey, I know you're working on Tom Howe. And he's like, do you know that there's stuff on eBay related to him right now? And I'm like, what? So I went online and I saw that there was, it was a very large collection and it was Lloyd stuff because that's who Tom's sister marries. She marries Malcolm Lloyd. And it was transcribed copies of the how of Tom's letters, but letters that the historical society didn't have. So anyway, I ended up getting the Tom stuff and then decided to, you know, to work it into a much larger, a much larger project because when when Edie had introduced me, when Mrs. Holly introduced me to the collection, she's like this might intrigue you, you know, this guy was 17 years old and, and he's an officer. And I'm like, oh, wow. And at that point, I mean, I'm an undergrad and I didn't know as much as I, surely as much as I do today about the Civil War, but I knew there weren't a lot of, you know, underage officers in the war. Um no. So that's really what, you know, kind of first connected me to, to him. You know, so what I ended up doing with the Lizzie letters isn't exactly what I have thought with with uh, my master's thesis but you know i think that the core of it is uh, of of what my master's thesis was turns in turned into sort of the core of the book um but i always after i finished my tom book i was like everyone i'm looking for a new project and and i thought well i'll revisit the 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 lizzie collection and then I originally actually on my bio at Westchester, I think it still has it written that I was working on a book about the um about Herfield soldiers, four Hurfield mm-hmm. soldiers in the war, or something like five Herfield soldiers in the war. Cause that's originally what I was gonna do. And then I had gone to lunch right. with one of my colleagues who I'm very good friends with, and um um he's working on his new book. Um, he, at that point was starting uh, to work on his new book. And I told him about the, the Lizzie collection. And I said, I'm either going to focus on these couple soldiers or I'm going to tackle the whole collection. And he's like, he's like, I think the whole collection is probably more interesting because I was telling him all about it. And I said, it's it's..." at that point, I didn't have the exact number of men that wrote to her. And I said, I think it's like 14 guys. And, um, he's like, that might be more interesting and and that might give you a little bit more flexibility in what you can do. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. So then I decided to dive into the collection. And um, at that point I had reached out to Kent. um, I always like to at least have a publisher kind of in mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. You learn a lot with your first book. I learned all the things Mm -hmm. not to do. Um, And and I wanted to have publisher lined up, at least interest, uh, publisher interested in, you know, kind of what I was working on. And I had reached out to Kent and um, they were interested pretty much from the beginning, which is great. And I just was going back and forth with them on kind of how, how to structure it and kind of what they were looking for in their series that they have, the Interpret Civil War series. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, yeah, I just worked all summer Trans or photocopying all the letters and reading all the letters and making myself notes and then really realized what I had here and thought, well, I'll do a presentation on it. And you know, it's a good way to get other people's opinions on what I can do with this. And luckily, Lorraine Foote was the chair of the panel at the Society for Military History. She, you know, really saw the importance of this collection and i remember we went to dinner afterwards and uh, after the presentation uh, and and it wasn't just the two of us it was um um probably like i don't know eight or ten other people too and we just we were walking right. back to um to the conference after dinner and and she's like you're gonna publish this right and i'm like yeah at some point and she's you really need to publish this and and um she was really sort of the one pushing me and 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 she wrote recommendation for my sabbatical um with Judkin Browning mm-hmm. um um who's the editor there he's the editor there at uh, uh, Georgia University of Press yep um yeah because at that point he wanted the book too um right <laughs> so yeah i've just been you know i was i just was really fortunate with kind of the, how both books, you know, lined up. I, I think one of the questions, you know, that you asked sort of toward the end was, I don't remember exactly where it was now, but uh, yeah, the projects that I focus, I, I focus on individuals, you know, social histories, and mm-hmm. I like stories. And one of my students and right. my, I've been teaching for 24 twenty five years now um they'll all tell you i'm I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I think it's what makes my classes interesting and and you know keeps my students connected to the class and and interested in the class and I like good stories and I think the Tom letters enable me to tell a story an interesting story that I think people can connect to that you know here's this young like you know young man who comes from this family with a rich military tradition you know he's he's from right you know one of the most well-to-do families in the area where i live and he wants to prove that he's a man that he's that next generation who's going to step up just like his grandfather did in the war of 1812 and his great-granddad did in the revolutionary war you know it's his role now it's his time now to stand up and because you know, his father has now passed by this point in 1859. I think he took it upon himself that he's the man of the family, even though his brother Josh, who's still at home, is older. His other brothers had moved away at that point. The older, older brothers had moved away at that point. But he took it upon himself that he was going to be the man of the family. And and the war was really sort of that, that way of, you know, transitioning from boyhood uh, to, from boyhood to manhood. So I think it was a great story to tell. And unfortunately, you know, it's tragic. It has a tragic ending. And I think the same thing with Lizzie. You know, I I, I think all of us have friends. We have a core group of friends. And imagining, you know, that, that we have another instance like the Civil War or any war, we all go away to war you know, we not only want to stay connected to home, but we want to stay connected to each other. And how do we do that? Yeah. You know, well, at that point, they didn't know how to write to each other. You know, they don't even know where each other are. They don't know if they're alive, if if the other guy's alive. And, and she's the one who keeps them connected. And I think it's just, it again, it, in my mind, it's another fascinating story that I think a lot of us can connect to because we can imagine this group of friends who all know each other from church or, you know, from Sunday school who all go in their separate directions, but they all want to stay, they all want to stay connected.
1: Absolutely. And I I think we don't even really need to imagine um, what our group of friends would do in these circumstances. We just passed through the COVID-19 pandemic. And I, as you were talking about it, I thought about that and I thought about the bubble, we all had for that period of time, we all had our individual bubble of people and individuals that um, it was encouraged to interact with them due to sort of the deteriorating mental health in a lot of different areas that, you know, everybody would gather out in somebody's backyard for a barbecue or something like that. So I think there is something very, very human and 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 grounding in that experience of, of everybody getting together. Um, but I think I... Yeah, I I think I want to continue sort of thinking about this um, social network uh, and and obviously connections drawn between the present and COVID and, and, and relatability as a story. But I want to talk a little bit more about the social network as it occurred during the Civil War era. So could you, what do you define as a social network in terms of this book, Letters to Lizzie? What does it mean to be a part of a social network during the Civil War era?
0: In my mind, it was about them maintaining those relationships that they had built in the years preceding the war, in the years leading up to the war. They were, in many instances, they were family. You know, Lizzie's related to Edward. She's related to Theodore. I think she's related to David, but I can't figure that out. You know, you, one of the questions that you had asked in, in the letters or in the document that you sent me was about genealogy. I'm mm-hmm. sort of an amateur genealogist, I've gotten better over the years of doing genealogy. I cannot figure out how David is related. He refers to Lizzie as a cousin, but I don't know how he's related. I know that in this area, like there are people who, you know, they say, well, we're, you know, oh, he's my brother or he's my cousin, but they're not really related. But because they've just been, their families have been close for so many years, they just like their family. And I don't know if that was the case with Lizzie and David or not, but this this social network is is this network of friends that they had shared experiences, they had a shared background. They're all, you know, lower or low middle class, very little education. They all come from this, you know, very rural community um, here in 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 South Jersey, this farm community and that's what connects them and and i think you know their their shared experiences of you know just trying to survive in in you know rural america in the in the mid 19th century and their love of god and and their devotion to the church has brought all of them together and they spend every sunday together in sunday school and and in these meetings in these methodist meetings and one of the letters that I had quoted from this Mary Davis, who writes to Isaac, because I have a bunch of other letters that, of course, are not in full length in the book. But oh, really? I have other letters that aren't there. I have. I think I, I. I don't mean I have. Our historical society has right. But I think that there were maybe seven to ten other letters. That I used, like a line from here and a line from there. So there's this young girl, Mary, da- uh, Mary Davis, who writes to Isaac, because um, Isaac's the first. Isaac Clark is the first of Lizzie's core friends to go away to war, and a number of people wrote to Isaac, and Isaac's illiterate. So I, you know, that also was another interesting thing and something that uh, other historians have focused on. You know these these. Common soldiers who don't know how to read or write, and having other people write for them and and you know read the letters to them, but this Mary Davis is writing to Isaac and and telling telling him, you know how she looks to the seat where he sat during school and imagines imagines him there and in 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 something I didn't actually include in the book. um, One of the letters she writes that Isaac apparently used to drive a wagon. And he used to Mm -hmm. ride by her house quite a bit. And she says every time she hears a wagon go by, she runs to the window and looks out to see if it's him driving the wagon. So it's interesting that, you know, these, these people were very close. And with someone like Isaac, it seems that he was pretty popular and pretty popular with the young ladies in the community. I even, in the, in the two letters that I have that Lizzie wrote to Isaac, I think she's a little flirty with him too.
1: I would agree. I would agree. (laughs) And,
0: you know, my cousin who helped me research, my cousin is my best friend and, and my cousin's a retired, retired from the military. And he, he helps me, you know, go to all these places as I research these people and really help me. With with Isaac and he and I we have our jokes about Isaac and I mentioned it to to Jerry on Civil War Talk Radio two months ago that because we we never found out what happened to Isaac after the war he moves to California and he just disappears after eighteen eighty after the eighteen eighty census and my cousin jokes that Isaac's going to show up at one of my book signings because we can't we just can't find him anywhere right but Isaac seems to be pretty popular. Um, with the members in the community and the ladies in the community. And and um, that also is another sort of interesting, I think, you know, sort of subplot within here. The, the first person from your community who goes off to war, you know, the attention that they get, you know, by 1862 and 1863, much of your community is gone, right? Much of the male population of your community is gone. But the first person from your community, when they go away, what's the reaction? To that, I'm sure that they got bombarded with letters from, from everyone in the community, you know, patting them on the back for their bravery and Mm -hmm. their, their duty, their sense of duty and honor and, and things like that. Like, I would love to have someone, you know, kind of study that, right? These first groups of men who go off to war and, and the attention that they get when they, when they leave the community.
1: Yeah, that instant celebrity. And it's funny that you note that. I I haven't been looking for that, but I I was looking at a lot of the letters that soldiers were writing in 1861 and and a similar pattern. Sorry, it's a little bit of a non sequitur. But I, I noticed that a lot of the soldiers writing about the fact that they're all putting on a lot of weight very rapidly. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the one thing. It's just like, I'm getting very fat, like April to May of 1861. They're, they're all reporting that, you know, this is probably the first time that they're getting those consistent rations. Yeah. And as we know, civil war rations are very, very fatty and and, and heavy on the calories. Of course, Confederate soldiers, that's going to change drastically over the course of the war. But it's really interesting to have a illiterate soldier. You know, you imagine the problem that it throws Isaac into at the beginning of the war that now he's receiving this overwhelming tide of letters from his home community he's enjoying this popularity that he perhaps didn't enjoy before although it seems like he was still kind of a popular individual around Herfville. it's Herffville right yeah that was my concern going in because I grew up in New England so I know in in terms of a lot of Massachusetts towns they have some tricky names. So it's it's Bill Ricca, not Bill Erica. Mm-hmm. It's Worcester, not Worcester. So when I saw I thought at first I thought it was Hufferville. So I'm happy that you know we're we starting out with Herfville, the correct pronunciation. And of course, Herfville is the place that Lizzie is from and where most of the correspondents um emerge from and and, and, and the Bethel Methodist Church as well. So Hurfville, New Jersey. But I think. You're, and, and Isaac's story and and just the kind of larger letter network in general kind of raises this really interesting fact that, you know, they don't know how to write letters, but that kind of goes to a structural level too, right? That you read other edited collections from, you know, what I call hyper literate soldiers like Francis Barlow or, or or Joshua Chamberlain, and they're writing to one correspondent, usually their wives, and they're doing it in this very structured proceeding carefully 19th century fashion. And that is obviously what dominates a lot of these edited collections uh, that you see. And and, and I mentioned in one of the questions, as I was looking for your book in the UGA library, I was just surrounded by these kinds of books, right? And, And they all look very, very similar. And I think that's one of the really unique features of Both of your books, but Lizzie, Letters to Lizzie in particular, because it reveals this group of individuals who are not only illiterate, transitionally literate, semi-literate, whatever term you want to put on them. They also are not literate in terms of the structure, the structural format of of how you're supposed to write letters within these 19th century conventions that they're not following. They don't have the education that the other more famous correspondents have. And I think that's just what makes it such a unique network. And I even think that goes into who they're writing to as well. They don't have just one correspondent that they pour out their soul to. They're definitely writing to Lizzie and each other. And I'm really interested that this social network is not just 16 individuals. You didn't just include all of the letters that you found, there's even more peripheral networks going out to other people. Are there even more in addition to, I think you said Mary Davis? Are, are, are do, do you think this is an even larger network? So I,
0: there are a couple of letters from Mary Davis. There's uh, John Heritage, who's Amy Heritage's brother. Um, Amy is, is one of Lizzie's best friends. I think I quoted from his letter in the early part of the book. And then there's... The letter, I have a letter from Isaac. No, sorry, Jacob to Isaac, where Jacob is writing that they all toasted. I think I quoted. They're all. They all toasted Isaac. Uh, they all had a drink of ale, and then I, I think I mentioned in the book that you know within a year, every one of them except for uh, Jeremiah Pearson um, had joined the military. So yeah, there's these other other letters. I think there's someone else too. Gosh, I'd have to go back and look at my notes. They're the, the ones that come to mind right. uh, very quickly. But yeah, there's these other people. I just didn't, I one, for 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 space because I'm only allowed so many words right. in the book, but also it, it's really about kind of weaving the story. And even when I was on Civil War Talk Radio the other day, or, sorry, a couple months ago, Jerry asked me about the one letter that I bought off of eBay that was written by Isaac. Or sorry, written by David. and and I, re- I I mentioned in the in the preface of the book how now I wonder how many more of the letters were broken from the from the collection. and And Jerry asked me, do I think there were more letter writers? And I said, I hope not. Like, I can't imagine having to weave another person into the narrative, like trying to keep track of sixteen different men. And who these 16 different men were, and to get used to the just the nuance of their writing. And where Isaac's letters are written by a different person every time. So it's a whole nother set of you know writing that I have to get used to because some are very well written, others are not. So I'm sure you see it in in private voices all the time, right? You get used, you know, you you read five letters written by the same person, you're like, okay. I can understand now. I can differentiate between what's an E and an I. And then you go on to the next person and you're like, wait, what's this? And you know, it drives me, it it enraged me at times. I wear glasses now because of these letters, because I read a lot of them with a magnifying glass. And I would, I would take pictures and send to one of my colleagues at work who was he was my former professor. Um, he's now my colleague at Westchester. I would send pictures and say, what do you think this word is? And then you go, well, send me, send me a much larger picture of the letter. And then, you know, he and I would through texting. We'd try to figure it out or we'd get together in my office the next day and we'd try to figure it out. You know, the, just my poor copy editor. I feel so bad for them <laughs> because there were so many misspelled words in the book. And the copy editor would say he he would write notes to me in the margins. Well, they spelled this word this way earlier in the letter, and now they spelled it this way. And, and I would, you know, write back in the comment, no, there's no rhyme or reason how these these people write, they just make up ways to write things. And I don't mean for that to sound, you know, surely I'm not surely I don't mean mean for that to sound bad and and no. you know, not. Um, picking on them for you know their lack of of education it's just as a as an educator and someone who you know grades grammar on papers like i twitch you know reading the grammar here did you read christopher hager's book i remain yours uh no i haven't yet you might you might like that book ben Mm -hmm. It really helped me understand letter writing during that period. And, and he was very gracious in writing a, a blurb on the back of my book on the Lizzie mm-hmm. book. I've communicated with him through email a, a number of times. And and I think that, you know, my work complements him and and I think adds in, in in some ways to to the work that he did in looking at letters written by these you know semi literate men in in the war how as you said like 10 minutes ago they're not aware of the proper way of of letter writing they're not aware of the structure yeah. and how they basically create their own structure yeah. and to me that's another really interesting study of civil war letters and I, and I tried to talk a little bit about it in the lizzie book that Hager talks about how most of the letters that he looked at, it was uh, the, the, the letter begins with, you know, I'm writing to you these few lines to let you know that I'm well, or something like that. And those conventions. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't find that in the majority of my letters uh, written to Lizzie. I found that in the first or second line in, in more often than, than I'm writing to let you know that I'm well, it was, I'm writing to let you know that I got your last letter, that that was important to them. It was that keeping of that network. It was that maintain, maintenance of the social network that I think was much more important to them. Um, or at least that's what I, that's what I contend that that was. Yeah.
1: No, Hager is on the list. Um, I like, like I said, I have not read his book, but he's up there on you know the list of potential guests that I'd really like to have on and and and, and talk to about their research because obviously so relevant to what we do. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, I actually really like speaking of you know the structure of these letters. I think podcasting is a great format to talk about the kinds of letters from Letters to Lizzie and Private Voices because. It's stream of consciousness. You know, it's kind of funny to go back through the transcripts of the conversations I've already had, and it seemingly doesn't necessarily align. And it's kind of the same thing with these Civil War letters, so that if you're not educated in the letter writing conventions, and especially if you're dictating, you are going to speak in a stream of consciousness style. And one of the conversations I had was with Garrett Cost, who is a interpreter at Ford's Theater. Hmm. And we were talking about letters that soldiers sent after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And there was this strange pattern where they would talk about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And in two or three letters in a row, completely different authors, completely different regiments, completely different geographic locations, they would mention the death of Abraham Lincoln and then immediately transition into questions about pigs and, 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 and other agricultural factors at home. And it was this weird problem of sort of just like, are they just not very disturbed by the death of Abraham Lincoln? And No, it's just that stream of consciousness, you know, that that, that's just where their mind went next. And we expect communication to arrive in these different formats. And and, and exactly to your point about, it's not disrespectful to say these things about uh, these soldiers. They just didn't have that level of education. You almost have to take yourself out of our contemporary mindset of K through 12 education that, you know, this was, you know, it's not that these soldiers weren't educated. They were, this was just the level of education they received. I think even one of the correspondents, I don't remember who mentions it at the end of their letter, you know, I never received much schooling. Yeah. You know, well, he- Probably there. maxed out the yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably maxed out the available schooling in 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 herville but I and, and I love that you brought up transcription because, uh, luckily enough, at Private Voices. We have other individuals who go to these disparate archives and transcribe the letters, and then they're provided to us as text files and we upload them. But I have a lot of experience transcribing myself. When I was working with Dr. Carmichael at Gettysburg, I went to him and I said, "Hey, I would like to do research with you." And he said, "Great." and he handed me this stack of, um, you know, this stack of uh, photocopied letters and told me to transcribe them. So every evening, I would sit down and I would transcribe all of the letters. So I know, and and I've worked at archives too, transcribing Civil War letters. So I know the the suffering that 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 is entailed in a lot of it, and 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 I would love it if someone could come up with a chat gpt or ai program that would be able to actually read this but at the same time i think it's very important because you learn so much about the individual exactly like you said yeah. as you go through the letters you know i feel like i get to know somebody as i know their letter p and moreover i think ai is going to have a really tough time reading you know a cuz my my favorite thing that these authors do is they write on the page horizontally and then turn it 90 degrees and then write over their own writing again, which makes it almost impossible to understand.
0: Yeah. I had a bunch of letters like that. And um, what I would do is I would copy it and then I would flip the page and I would blow up right the sideways writing. Yeah. That was really hard. Or they write around the page. Yeah and i'd have to figure out all right are they writing does it start here does it start here and it was everything in kind of reading it in context trying to figure it out yeah it was it was interesting it was frustrating and and you know kind of everything in between
1: but i think it's really valuable because it forces you to get into their cognitive pattern their headspace. How are they thinking? How did they put together this letter? And exactly like I said before, it forces you to back out of your, you know, 2023 assumptions and education and kind of get back into just that more stream of consciousness style. But in particular, that particular individual soldiers, um, stream of consciousness style. So, no, I'm really happy that we touched on transcription because I feel like especially as Civil War historians, it's it, it's defining of the field. And obviously, I'm, I'm sometimes envious of, you know, scholars who study the 20th century or more recent history that they have, you know, typewriters and and typescript. Uh, but I think it it really imparts a, a unique flavor to the field of Civil War era studies that I think really gives you a better grasp on the individual that you're writing about and that, and that you can really get into more of their individuality.
0: It's interesting
1: you know, going back to the the
0: Lizzie, the, the letters to Lizzie, it was interesting reading the letters from someone who was more articulate, like her uncle Benjamin. Benjamin seemed to have more education. His letters were structurally better, right. grammatically better, except he misspelled niece in every letter. But for the most part were pretty easy to transcribe. He's he's a little older than everyone else. So he's and he's he's a sergeant. He apparently got promoted to to lieutenant, but the pension records and one of the questions you asked me was about pension records, the pension records. It's it's a little unclear. If the promotion went through before his death, apparently on his tombstone he's identified as lieutenant interesting but according to the pension records it doesn't seem that the lieutenant uh promotion went through before his death um so i'm i'm a little unsure there and that's why i just left it out of the book because i wasn't sure right so i didn't even want to get into you know get into that but um he seemed to be much more willing to do self-reflection than a lot of the other men. I think some of the men did at times, mainly when they were in the hospital, but I think he does it during a lot of the quiet time. And um, um, he, I, I mentioned in the book how he's, you know, he's sitting in his, in his lowly tent and he's reflecting on his life and things that he could have done differently. And, and, he says in one of the letters how, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, you know, he wished that he had been a better sort of role model for Lizzie. And and, you know, I mentioned in the introduction how he was just awful to his wife. Right. You know, he left his wife. He shacked up with this other woman who was purported to be a prostitute. Right. According to the pension records, gave his wife this painful disease, which I speculate was probably sexually transmitted disease, um, he tore up his marriage certificate when he left the house to the point where his wife, she had to jump through all these hoops to get his pension after the war because she no longer had the legal document proving that they were actually married. So given by what I know of his background and then reading his letters, it's like two totally different people mm-hmm. because his, le- uh, his background makes him seem to be this just awful human being. But his letters are actually really sweet to Lizzie. And he really seems to love her and and is very appreciative of all the letters that he gets from her. And and I think that he realizes sort of the mistakes that he made in his life, the more that he's in the field.
1: Yeah, well, and Benjamin is also the correspondent who has the more long form discussion of battle correct he talks about i still see my, my my comrades on the ground i still see them wounded and in agony he's definitely the most articulate of all the correspondence. And to me, at least the most interesting for all of the reasons that you described, he has this checkered background. He's described as a sporting man, which is, is not necessarily a, a bad moniker in the 19th century, but applied in this context, it's definitely not a kind one or or implying or, or respectability or anything like that. And it's interesting too, about um, the lieutenancy. And uh, because I think obviously depending on when he was wounded and 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 killed obviously as you know especially from the howell correspondence officer turnover rates were very 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 high in some regiments so it was very common to sort of just suddenly be a sergeant and then find yourself as a lieutenant and then get killed before you even had an opportunity to become to, to have your commission officially recognized so i imagine the benjamin's probably your i, I don't want to say favorite correspondent but he was probably the one that you enjoyed the most working with I
0: really enjoyed reading his letters. I would say the one I enjoyed the most was probably Jacob because of Jacob's love yes. for Lizzie. And not, not again, I, I enjoyed Benjamin. I, I enjoyed his letters as a military historian. As you said, it's a much longer form of, of the battles. He goes through the whole Chancellorsville right. campaign day by day. His account of Antietam, even though he wasn't actually in the battle, he's he's on the battlefield, but his regiment, sorry, his brigade was not involved in the fighting there in mm-hmm. the cornfield. They were kept in reserve, but sees and he describes Union and Confederate soldiers, you know, helping each other out, and and you know, you see this. He saw the you know this sense of humanity after the bullets stopped flying, that there was no more blue and gray mm-hmm. it was man helping man no matter what the color of the uniform was and and i thought that that was at the end of the day you know although this civil war is the most right. uncivil of wars there is some humanity left in these men at the at the end of the day and um i think he saw it and i surely saw that through his eyes um you know or through his writing but i, I think that the Jacob letters for me, were the ones that entertain me the most because Jacob is so in love. And I can imagine being, you know, this, this young man who's 19 or whatever he is at this point. And, you know, he lived with Lizzie before the war. I really wish that I had a photograph of Lizzie so I could actually, you know, see, because a lot of people, when they ask, when I tell them, I give them, you know, kind of the, the elevator cell of what the book is, right? Right. And and I, I tell them what the book is in two or three sentences. And every, almost every time I get, wow, she must have really been beautiful. These men must have loved her. I'm like, well, I don't know, but I don't know if they all love, like are in love with her. They love her. But Jacob yeah. is clearly in love with her.
1: Yes, romantically, romantically interested for sure.
0: It's really... I think the biggest contribution that I got from the reader of the manuscript that they wanted me to add, they wanted me to add a section about male-female friendships during this period. Yes. And and I'm very grateful that they asked that because I think it made it, it made that section of the book stronger. And it just was not something that was really on my radar. I didn't really think about what was, what was the proper decorum you know um in in these male female relationships or friendships because you surely think about it today right you know you you kind of know where that line is and you don't cross that line there was a very clear line in the 19th century you don't talk about anything that's that evokes emotion you know, a man isn't vulnerable, I guess, is really the the best thing in mm-hmm. the 19th century. A man can't be vulnerable to a female unless it's a female that he is romantically involved in uh, or involved with.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And I think that that after understanding that and, and doing quite a bit of reading and trying to figure it out. And luckily that the literature was, you know, was sort of some pretty good literature out there that I could, you know, kind of get into and and come up to my own conclusion. But I I, I really after having that sense of where that line was, Jacob way past he crossed that line, you know, went way past that line. Well, I think a lot of the others get up to that line, right? But don't go over that line. Because I do think that Bill Chu may have had some kind of feelings for her at times, but he never crosses that line. And I know that none of them ever read that Miss Leslie's book of behavior that I talk about in there. Right. Of course. I wonder how they is that something that was was just expressed through conversation? You know, this this is how a male and a female talk to each other was it something they learned about in, in, in church, you know, that was discussed maybe by their parents? Like I'd love to know how that was articulated to them because apparently Jacob missed those days. He um, didn't have that conversation, um, <laughs> but you yeah. know, talking about how he dreams about her and he wakes up and he's weeping and, and, you know, he keeps her image in his breast pocket. So if she dies or if he dies, You know, she's she's right next to him. And in the end, the last letter he writes to her after she gets married. And, you know, he's like, I'm not going to have any, you know, you don't have to worry about me having any feelings for you. But then in like the next sentence or two sentences later, he reminds her of their last kiss. Before he left to go to the military. And I always wonder, like, John, her husband. When Jacob comes back, apparently they all stayed close because Lizzie and John, her husband, they stand up for Jacob when he gets married a couple of years later, a few years after the war in sixty nine, in eighteen sixty nine. And I always wondered, like, you know, did John think does this guy still have feelings for my wife? Because he surely is reading these letters too. So Jacob is is really is really interesting. There are times when I wish that I, you know, could build a DeLorean and go back in time and, um, right. And and meet these guys because I would love to, you know, I would love to talk to Jacob. Uh, You know, I'd love to get a picture of Lizzie on my cell phone. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to find out what happened to Isaac after the war. Like, right. And Edward is just a whole nother interesting sort of thread through the book i don't
1: know i love edward's story um and i definitely want to hear you sort of rehash it because i think again it kind of gets at what a female friendship was during the civil war era but i have to imagine that lizzie and her husband are going to go to william chu it's will it's william right
0: william chu or, or or jacob
1: or, or Jacob. Yeah. I, I imagine that they want to go to Jacob's wedding to make sure like you're married now. <laughs> you're like, like, like anything, it's, it's all cut off. It's finalized. Yeah. But I think of um Dr. Barry's argument um, in you know, all that makes a man that oftentimes. And so in a weird way, I think it's almost better that we don't have an image of Lizzie because at least according to Dr. Barry's argument that these men in their romantic relationships are actually sort of reflecting more of themselves, which is what you talked about, that once you actually form a deep romantic relationship with a woman, you start reflecting your inner vulnerabilities, these visions of yourself and understandings of yourself. I think he almost compares them to mirrors a lot of the time. So in in, in a weird way, it almost did, it doesn't even matter who the individual is. It's just sort of this mirror opaque mirror that men can sort of reflect themselves in i think one of the individuals that barry talks about in all that makes a man um never actually formally met the woman that he was writing to never saw an image of her but fell madly insanely in love with this person so there, there, there is definitely something very interesting going on when you kind of skirt the line between friendship and flirtation. And I, and, 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 and I would agree with you having read the letters that it definitely, you can kind of see them making their gambit and trying to sort of lasso Lizzie into a um, more formal uh, romantic partnership with them. So on that vein and kind of picking out a little bit more of the differences between, you know, friendship and romantic relationship you, you talk about um, sending a kiss um, and, 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 but, and and you also talk about images. So, and, and you, and you kind of already addressed this a second ago, but could you go into a little bit more detail kind of, you know, the protocols around flirting and how did you kind of get a feel for the soldiers writing that line in the letters?
0: I do think that I, I got a sense in some of the letters, you know, that the soldiers are, are, are flirting with her or, or hoping to crack that door and open that door where maybe she can cross that line in the next letter. Bill Chu surely writes a number of times asking for an image of her. He writes, you know, that he would, he would see Edward or he would see Jacob and, and because they're, he and Jacob are in the same regiment. And he would look at the image of Lizzie and and imagine her sitting there and hanging out with them and what they would talk about and things like that. But the sending the kiss thing was was really interesting because I, I remember having this conversation with my wife as I was writing, you know, that that little section in, in the introduction. And I'm like, this is real flirtation. And she goes, it, it, it that's real flirtation. She's like, you don't send a kiss to someone you know maybe like your brother or something you know your sister or something like that but to someone who's not your sibling y- you don't really do it in 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 sort of this harmless way and and maybe i'm looking at it you know with my through my 21st century lens because i'm sure if i you know texted my friend i'm sending you a kiss i'm sure that my wife would have you know yeah some some issues with that, which you know right. I would absolutely agree with her having right. issues with that, and you know here's Lizzie you know sending a kiss to some of these to some of these men and 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 I write in the book you know how I think even Lizzie at times breaks these rules, but it's 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 sort of a gray area for me because. I mean, Lizzie, as as you know, you've finished the book, Lizzie marries her stepbrother. Mm-hmm. So she's living with them at that point. I don't know if she and John are sort of romantically involved at that point. I don't know when they actually get to that point. It seems to me it's sometime around 1863, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's earlier than that. So when she's sending kisses in 1861 and 1862, is it that she's sort of looking at these other guys as potential suitors? And then, you know, something happens that she ends up, you know, gravitating toward John in 1863 and marrying him in February of 1864. That I'm not sure of because I don't have the evidence there. I can just speculate. Right. But I surely think that, you know, she does cross that that line there in, in flirting with them. And I don't know if it was just in her mind a harmless thing where, you know, she just wants to do it to keep their morale up. Or if it's something more, you know, that, that, you know, she really does have feelings for them. And the actual kiss kiss of Jacob before he left, I really wished that I could go back in time and see what that kiss was. Was it just a little, a peck on the cheek, you know, a little peck on the lips? And if it was, you know, well maybe that's just sort of a friendly goodbye, right? Or was it something more than that, not to be too graphic, you know, but Was it something more than that, which would have implied to him that that this was that she was interested in him more in a more serious bond right, in a serious way? And that's never defined. So I don't know. Right. He just says a kiss behind the old granary.
1: Right. Well, again, going back to uh, Dr. Barry's book, he has that story of another individual who feels that he is basically engaged to be married after kissing um, a woman and and has this deep um, angst about getting out of the relationship itself. But now, even as we talk about it, I would love to have a cultural history of kissing and flirting in the 19th century. And I'm sure someone has done it for sure. And I'm, I'll do a little bit of research after this and maybe drop it in um, the, the the bio of the podcast itself. But I think it's I think flirting itself is a mildly transgressive act. And I think, A second ago you kind of talked about how did these individuals learn and obviously they weren't all reading down with their copies of you know the 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 refinement manual and i think a lot of historians tend to interpret that as sort of a crystallization of prevailing practice along with some you know different rules to sort of push it back and forth and obviously the problem is sort of divining which is rule and which is uh the attempt to sort of create a new custom but i'm sorry Go ahead.
0: No, come on, Ben. You finished your thought. I'm sorry.
1: No, that was kind of it. That, that it just sort of, you know, flirting itself is transgressive and but it's also built in it, it's positively transgressive. It, it's enjoyable for the people involved, unless of course you're interested in you know, one of the parties outside of the two people flirting. But I think beyond that, uh, it it's built in with this sort of plausible deniability. And especially for Lizzie, who has these high stakes in terms of being respectable and you know, holding up her reputation that um you know, if it's tough for us to divine what's flirting and what's not, Lizzie did her job well, right? You know, like 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 she's she, she's doing it the correct way and sort of doing what flirting is in a, in an almost sort of a historical sense.
0: And then when you when you compare or contrast the the hundred and twenty four letters in in the letters to Lizzie book to to the ones in in the Tom book, the to sixty five letters in the Tom book, like Tom is a refined gentleman. Mm-hmm. He's from the upper class. Yep, and. You know, but he's a 17-year-old, you know, she, he's a 17-year-old boy. So he surely has interests in girls. And he writes about his Gertrude Browning, um, m- most of all. Um, and and um, Mary, um, the heck's the other girl's name? Gosh, my mind just went blank. Anyway, he writes about this other girl. Mm-hmm. Who, um, I can find it real fast who i think he has some kind of interest in right but there's no evidence that he wrote to either of those young ladies mm. uh during the war or that they wrote to him during the war and he just kind of asks he asks for information about them through his siblings right you know what are these what are these young ladies up to can you give me some information on them well
1: and you almost wonder if he's sort of provisionally sending out feelers right like he doesn't want to be the first to communicate he wants to let the person he's writing to know so they can go and talk to them and then they can write you know it's again it's these um obscure and almost difficult codes to understand of you know how a relationship would begin in the 19th century
0: yeah mary harbert that was her name okay it's interesting because I was I was in one of the local cemeteries and I forget whose grave I was looking for. I was looking for Tom's teacher's grave, Mr. Uh, Smith, William Smith. Mm-hmm. And I was walking around, I found Mr. Smith's grave and not that far away, I found Gertrude Browning's grave. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he, this is the girl that Tom you know, wrote about quite a bit in his letters, you know, never really kind of putting it together that where she was buried or, you know, kind of what happened to her after the war. Um, After that, I started to, you know, look up, look up, look her up on ancestry and things like that to try to figure out what happened to her. But yeah, I wasn't even looking for her grave and just happened to stumble upon it uh, in the cemetery. And, and, you know, her last name was still Browning. So that's how I was able to still find, you know, that's how I was able to find her. And she was buried with her brother, Georgie, who mm-hmm. um, talks about in the book. But but yeah, it's interesting seeing how Tom conducts himself and, and you know, he, he is a gentleman. You know, he has been, you know, taught proper decorum. Mm-hmm. Um, and also going back to transcription, which we talked about a little, you know, a little while ago. Tom's letters were a pleasure to transcribe. Right. Very easy. 34 (laughs) of them were already transcribed
1: Mm -hmm.
0: for me because they were just the, you know, the transcribed copies, which I still haven't found the originals Mm -hmm. and, and, and don't know if I ever will find the originals, as I mentioned in the introduction that, or in the preface, you know, I contacted descendants of, of, of Annie, Tom's sister. Mm And, and, the the one woman that I that I had talked to through email, it was either 2015 or 2000, early 2016, she said that when her mother-in-law passed away, a lot of the family records were just thrown away that they uh-huh. had in the house. So I don't know if Tom's letters got thrown in the trash, which I hope not. I hope that yeah. they're in someone's archive somewhere in a trunk in an attic or in someone's right. safe, something like that. And that you know, they they end up in you know your private voices collection or right. my historical society or something like that, that they're not on some garbage, you know, pile. And unfortunately, you know, that happens. People don't understand what they have, they don't understand the importance of these things. And 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 it's what makes something like eBay, I think, so interesting as a resource for, for us as his, historians, because the only time that these letters in private collections pop up is when someone sells them. Right. And I think it's what it, what makes this um, it's called spared and shared mm-hmm. website. So interesting uh, that the founder of it was on civil war talk radio, maybe two years ago now, something like that. And when these letters come up for sale on eBay, this guy transcribes them and puts them on this site yeah. because they basically just go from one private collector to another and they never see the light of day. Right. So as, as historians who are looking for letters of, you know, from specific regions or specific regiments, we never would have access to these things. And, and I think this site, just like the one that you guys have there at, at Georgia uh, with private voices is a huge uh, resource for for people like me and you know people like you and 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 others you know in 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 graduate programs around the country because these are rich letters that will never will never be used yeah um and will never you know fully tell us the stories of these, of these individual soldiers. So I love that site. I go on there quite a bit Mm and just type in, you know, New Jersey to see what letters are from what New Jersey companies, or, or I type in family names to see what's up there. And, and I think, you know, just like people do with, with your site there at Georgia.
1: Civil War era studies has to be perhaps one of the strongest, if not the strongest, fields in, div- in 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 digital history. I think you know you could very conceivably write an excellent dissertation on the common soldiers of the Civil War in Australia and never leave Australia. You know, yeah, <laughs> that is that. There's so many resources, and I had actually never even heard of this, you know, uh, found and or, or, um, this spared, web, and spared and shared website that, um, and, and I think it's, uh, it, it can almost be frustrating that it feels like there's a different digital online resource for civil war records popping up every, and, and I even, I've heard rumblings that there's efforts underway to digitize all of the court martial records of the union army, all of yeah. them. And it's, and, and that, and that would be fantastic, but there's just so, much uh material out there and 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 you're absolutely right it does make it so much easier um for anybody working on the civil war era to 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 access the resources and 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 get working on them right away which i think is both a blessing and a curse, right? There's so much material. It's hard to identify what's useful and what's not useful. And I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but of course, uh, as I was going through the University of Georgia library, looking for your two books, they were of course organized with all the other edited collections of Civil War letters. And there are so many of them And, 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 and many of them are, you know, very similar to each other. But what you have managed to do is to identify two genuinely unique and novel collections of letters. You have a 17-year-old officer who, as far as I know, I think that's probably the only example of a published uh, collection uh, of its kind. And obviously, as we're talking about right now, Letters to Lizzie is very prevalent in the primary documents, but it has yet to be sort of elaborated on by historians. So my question to you is, as someone who's pulled together these these very novel and 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 unique collections that are genuinely important and contribute much to the historiography what to you makes a good edited collection and how did you identify these two genuinely novel and innovative groups of primary sources
0: you know i i thank you for you know everything that you said because i i i really am proud of both books and 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 what they contribute to, to the scholarship. And, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to the reception, you know, of the Lizzie book by other historians. You know, I have the, the blurbs that are on the back of the book from Pete and, and Laurie and, 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 and Christopher Hager, but I I'm really looking forward to book reviews coming out um, to see what response, you know, is, is uh, what the response is to the work. And, and, and what people can can contribute what what people can add to what i did because like we said earlier i i'm really interested in telling stories and and i think that both books gave me the opportunities to tell you know fascinating stories that i think have an appeal to not just a, a, an audience who you know reads and, and and studies civil war but i i think you know just a, a general audience someone who is just interested in in learning something new and 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 reading an interesting and and in you know in Tom's case a tragic story um and I think it you know it kind of humanizes it humanizes the war but I think what what I look for in in an interesting letter collection surely is is volume. First of all, like I think if you have five letters written, you know, during four years of war, I don't know how much of a story that can tell us. Right. Right. But if you have 50 letters over four years of the war, I think you can get some insight into the person's character, you know, sort of the, um, the person's motivations, the, the trials and tribulations that they, that they faced. And I, I think that we can learn a lot about the lives of these soldiers. And, and I think as historians, you know, especially so, someone who teaches an introductory level course, as, as I do teaching, you know, a course with mostly freshmen in it, you do a lot of generalizations in, in your classes, right? You don't really have a lot of time to to get into the weeds even when i teach my my upper level civil war class i still have so much material to go through mm-hmm. i in t- in in some cases deal with with generalizations and to try to get to a point um but i think we can get we can get you know deeper into the topic and 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 learn much more about these individual men um and and in this in lizzie's case you know the network the social network around them Mm -hmm. with 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 having you know 10 20 30 50 124 letters um to give us insight to give us that insight i think pete's book on the common soldier is 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 a phenomenal book and um i've listened to pete a number of times talk about you know, the, the issues that he had kind of selling the structure of his book to, uh, NC, UNC press. Mm -hmm. And, but I get it like after reading Pete's book and I've read it multiple times now, after reading Pete's book, I get what he was, was doing. And I had the same thing with my Tom book Mm -hmm. Lehigh. When I, when I initially met with Lehigh and I told them what I wanted to do with the book, they're like, yeah, but why can't you just publish the letters? we don't really want all of this excess stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I need all this excess. We need all this excess stuff. We need the whole story. And I really had to sell them on the structure. And 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 it wasn't until I had quite a bit of the book actually written and I sent it to them. And then the editor read it and went, I get what you're doing here right. now. Because as you, as you mentioned a while ago, there were so many letter collections that are published. And I've read- A lot of these in in you know preparing for the two books that I did and a lot of them are just it's the letter collection and it's like you know maybe a dozen you know and and that might even be a lot for an introduction you know kind of a a very brief introduction which which usually includes the post-civil war life of the people or person that is that that they're talking about uh, in the letters or you know who's who, who wrote those letters and I always feel, I don't know, kind of gypped after I read it yeah. because I want to know more about that person. I want to know more about you know what's going on, you know, what are some of these things I want what are some of these things that he's talking about in these letters or the letters between a husband and a wife like I want to know more about the dynamic between them like Pete does a great job talking about that in in his book and he gives an example i think it's the guy from indiana or david beam
1: david beam yeah
0: yeah right was he from indiana or somewhere in the
1: Uh, the 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 letters that pete gave me to transcribe that he actually already had transcribed but he just wanted to sort of you know like 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 test my willingness to sort of stick with it they were david Uh beams letters yeah
0: yeah it's and Pete does a great job of analyzing, you know, sort of the back and forth between the two, right? Rather than just have a published letter collection and then it's just published for the sake of publishing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that, in my opinion, and, and th- this is not of a course. negative on anyone who does something different than what I did. Of course. Uh, in my opinion, I I like doing the work of analyzing you know what they're writing about you know and 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 contextualizing what they're writing about and and really getting into who these people were mm-hmm. and you know what were they like as people and and not making them these two dimensional characters in a book you know i i really want readers that when they when they finish my books that they 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 feel like they know you know these these people kind of like like i said earlier with with me and 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 my my research assistant talking about the 16 guys with Lizzie, like it's they stick with you. Where, you know, we we still, like I said, we had lunch two weeks ago. We still talk about these guys and and what we liked about them, what frustrated us about them. And 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 I don't know if you get that from some of these other published collections.
1: No, yeah, I I completely agree with you, and obviously, I, I, I we I, I do not think we're denigrating anybody who you know publishes other edited collections at all. It and honestly, it sounds like from your experience, those are pressures put on them from publishers. I would be astonished if you know all these people putting out edited collections were you know didn't want to include all of those uh, nitty gritty biographical details that, at least from the publisher's perspective, seem to just muddy it up because. I think Civil War authors are so articulate and literate, and especially when you're dealing with hyper-literate individuals like, you know, Edward Cross of the Fifth New Hampshire or Joshua yeah. Lawrence Chamberlain or whoever. So it's almost the assumption that these guys can kind of stand on their own. And to a certain extent, they can. I think that's the whole justification behind the edited collection that, you know, who 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 better to tell the story than the individuals themselves? But I think your work and obviously the work of, uh, you know, Pete as well, just kind of proves that it adds so much more of a dimension and I can say genuinely not just to you know, he praise on you that knowing a little bit more of the background of who Lizzie was and what her relationship was and that she marries her stepbrother in the middle of the Civil War, that last fact in particular adds such an interesting dimension to all of these different letters and 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 adds so much more color and texture and in particular when you get into the conflict that occurs between, Edward, I think it's Edward. Edward, yeah. Yeah. The the conflict between Lizzie and Edward Brick. I think it added so much more color and dynamic. And I guess if you wouldn't mind, would you go over that conflict again that occurs between Lizzie and Edward? You know, who is Edward? What what is he doing? You know, and 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 what happens between them in uh, I think 1863.
0: It's in eighteen, right? It's it's in late eighteen sixty three. Yeah. So Edward is is Lizzie's cousin. Lizzie's father and Edward's father were brothers, actually at the just before the Civil War. So Lizzie's stepfather, uh, Jesse Thompson, he owns quite a bit of land in Hertfield. Mm-hmm. So he has multiple farms, and Edward lives on one of the farms that's that's next door to where Lizzie lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, driving around the area it's a bunch of new houses in that area and some are housing developments. And I try to drive slowly on these roads to figure out exactly where the houses were. I still haven't figured it out yet because there's always so much traffic in the area. I haven't figured this out. But anyway, so um, Edward joins the 12th, New Jersey, uh, which is the only regiment in New Jersey that was formed from the counties, the the, the county South of Trenton. So it's an all South Jersey regiment. Okay. And edward is underage when he joins the war um his brother and his father both um attested to the fact that he was 18 when in fact he wasn't he was 17 uh when he joins the war and edward is you know not to again not to sound mean or anything edward's pretty immature Mm -hmm. and edward's letters frustrate me in in that sense that he acts like a brat in a lot of the letters. He's very demanding to Lizzie. He complains constantly in the letters uh, to her. Um, so he gets wounded at Gettysburg. He he sprains his ankle on the second day at Gettysburg. The four companies of the 12th New Jersey uh, um, were sent to uh, drive uh, Posey's Mississippians out of the Bliss Barn. Right. And the 12th New Jersey did that. They captured, um, I think, 92 um, Mississippians and Edward gets wounded. He sprains his ankle. So he's sent to field hospital, which he ends up having dinner with with, with Bill Chu and uh, Thomas Clark, who's Isaac's brother. He ends up having dinner with them um, while he's in the hospital. So I wonder, like, how ill he really was. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So he gets sent to hospital in Newark, New Jersey. And he quickly befriends a number of people there who are the two outsiders who end up writing to Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Henry Rums, uh, Rumsey, who's who's in uh, 120, 126 New York. Mm-hmm. He's also wounded at Gettysburg. Uh, he was in Willard's Brigade. Um, who He was wounded on the second day at Gettysburg. Uh, he and Edward become pretty good friends. Uh, Rumsey writes to Lizzie. Uh, I think five or six letters, something like that. And then uh Philip Littell, who's a quartermaster at the hospital there, the Ward Hospital in in Newark. And apparently while hanging out with with Latell, and Littell seems to be Littell's also an interesting guy. He seems to kind of he's pretty popular. He seems to have a lot of friends in the community. And Um, he and Edward become really close and and they start going out and doing things and meeting other people in the community. And Lizzie doesn't like this apparently. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly why, but I think that Lizzie is bothered by sort of the company that Edward is keeping. Right. That I speculate in the book. I think it's that the women that he's um, interacting with i don't know she thinks that they're they're not refined enough they're not ladylike enough now to contextualize this some of the other men that lizzie wrote to have been in hospitals prior to this
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so bill carr who is from her um actually buried in, in bethel cemetery where lizzie's buried and uh, where edward's buried he's in hospital in in philadelphia in early 63 he gets wounded at at Fredericksburg and um he's talking about how he went to all the bad places in Philadelphia which I'm guessing are you know houses of ill repute right Mm -hmm. and I I think that Lizzie is maybe sort of affected by that seeing that other men that she's writing to have have kind of led their morals astray you know go astray while they're in the hospital and have gone you know have gone to things that they otherwise not would not have done or, or gone to and, and may have done things that they would not have done in the past, and I think that she fears that Edward is heading down that path. And she and Edward are very close. I think they're more like brother sister than cousin. In in I think that's how she looks at it. I think Edward has some feelings for her, which I speculate a little bit about in in the book, right. particularly with the letter with the rat um mm-hmm. where there's a rat in her bed and he says that if he was the rat he never would have gotten out of bed with her or something like that which is a little creepy right but anyway so i think that she has this kind of you know sisterly love for him and and i think she fears that he might go astray like some of the other guys did being in in the hospital and, and visit some of these houses of ill repute or things like that and edward really takes an attitude with her uh, in the letters late in that year of 1863. And, you know, he starts justifying the women that he's hanging out with. He's actually hanging out with Mary Crane, who her brother, Stephen Crane, who writes Red Badge of Courage later, you know, in, right. in 1895, to, to sort of demonstrate, I'm hanging out with respectable women. Yeah. You know, and I go, I go ice skating with these women. And, mm. you know, and, you know, he's kind of justifying, hey, I'm not doing anything bad but you think I'm doing something bad Mm -hmm. and she gets mad at him and just completely cuts him off. And he ends up writing a letter to John, her, you know, her stepbrother who becomes her husband uh, the next year and says, you know, Lizzie's mad at me and, and, you know, doesn't really understand why she's mad at him and, and not writing to him. And then a couple of weeks go by, they don't write to each other. And then the communication begins again in January. And and there's no mentioning of any of this. It's back to normal again. So I don't know what happened in the middle there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there are letters that Lizzie destroyed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there just was no communication. And sometimes like how families deal with conflict, you just kind of forget it. Right. After a little bit of time and and you just move on. I don't know if that's what happened here, because it seems like Edward likes to talk about everything. So I don't know if there's a gap there and I don't have I don't have the I don't have anything to fill in that gap. So, again, I don't know if it's they wrote they wrote to each other. They resolved it and and the letters just were destroyed or or like I said just a minute ago if it is like what a lot of how a lot of families deal with conflict and you just shove it under the rug right right and and right. then you just move on
1: Right. Well, I, I think you mentioned at one point that um, Edward potentially went and visited Lizzie and sort of and, and, and sort of t- they talked about it in person and sort of worked it out. But it's interesting, um, you know, to think about this veteran of the Battle of Gettysburg. and, 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 and the 12th New Jersey, that uh, forgive me if I'm incorrect, they're the one that they, they run across in an in insane distance at the Battle of Gettysburg to get to the Bliss farm, right? Um, you know, all under fire. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I think like, it makes sense. The sprain <laughs> the sprained ankle is, you know, this long sprint, but I'm so happy I asked you about that because, uh, that added dimension of, of course, the fact that she had seen other men perhaps kind of go off the rails and delve into, um, you know, areas that were not respectable is going to inflect her behavior in these other interactions too. And, and, and even interesting too, in terms of thinking about female friendships, flirtation, going back and forth, clearly, um, Lizzie cares about her, Edward too. And is perhaps even a little bit jealous that, you know, that, 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 you know, he's hanging out with different individuals, but as you say, it's all speculation. It's all, you know, and, and unless the evidence is there, we can't really say one way or the other, but I think again, it's just, it's not how we tend to think about these civil war soldiers who are, you know, going through these insane, uh, you know, combat experiences, but then they're also human too. That they're having spats with their family, you know that that, that 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 they're going through these processes of, you know, oh well, I can't talk to you because, you know, X, Y, and Z. You, you know, you, you're 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 beyond it.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, I think going back to the letters that Pete had you transcribe, you know, that that soldier from from I, I get, I think he was from Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, which say
1: his name was Veen, Bean, Beam, Veen, Beam, 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 Beam yeah. um,
0: you, you surely see the spats that he has with his wife yeah. in those letters. And yeah, I think that again, here is to go back to what I I said, maybe 15 minutes ago, just publishing a letter collection without, without really kind of analyzing what's the content within these letters, I think is, is, is incomplete. It's an incomplete Absolutely. work, you know, and again, I'm not, you know, of course. Uh, uh, I, 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 I'm not denigrating
1: or taking shots or anything right. like that. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Because I don't know their circumstances with, with the publisher. I know the constraints that I had with my publishers. Um, so I totally understand that. But I think as, as a, as a historian who is, you know, looking to tell stories, I think having those stories already sort of analyzed within the books, you know, surely helps me, like if I want to use, you know, some of those letters in my class to have my students now, you know, kind of look at and and look at sort of these conflicts within, you know, within uh, the Civil War, you know, the lives of these soldiers during the war, I think kind of helps where, you know, I, I already have sort of i guess you know the work in a sense done for me and it helps in in using those in the classroom in in introducing those things to my students and kind of seeing what they if they can get sort of the same interpretations if that makes any sense
1: right yeah no absolutely i think again in the conversation i had with the interpreter at ford's theater one of the questions i asked him was um you know how do you humanize these larger than life and almost you know marble men figures like Abraham Lincoln and you know more controversially John Wilkes Booth and and he said just you know add Dynamic add aspects that you know humanize them and I think you know the a, a great a great way to humanize these guys and sort of understand their in individuality is place them into the conflicts that existed within their family and 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 I love that letter from Edward where you can clearly tell he's so distraught he writes on the top, you know, this is for your eyes only. And then, you know, in the first line and the last line, he's so insistent and and you can tell he's sort of, he's worked up over this conflict and it's a very human moment and it's happening within the conventions of the 19th century and and, and the ways that they express themselves. But it's a very, it's very easy to be empathetic with him.
0: And at that point he's, and I'm sorry. And at that point, he's already expressed to her that he's no longer a Christian you know, he's, he's had this complete falling out with God. And, and I think that that really concerns Lizzie, who religion is very important to her. Seeing him stray from the church, I'm sure sent up a huge red flag to her. And, And then knowing that he's hanging out with women that she may not approve of, I think just sort of exacerbated the problem, right? With her that Here's a guy who's already strayed from the church. Now he might be hanging out with women that are not maybe as respectable as she would like. You know, I'm sure that she was very concerned, uh, very concerned with that. And, you know, he has this this religious conflict in those last few months of 1864 and the first few months of 1865, really Mm -hmm. until he gets sent back to the front uh right around the time of the overland camp uh, overland campaign um and then you know then he finds god again Mm -hmm. and and you know i speculate in the book i don't know if he found god again as a way of kind of repairing his relationship with lizzie right or or because he's going back to the front he might die
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um you know or both um so i think that the religious context there is is pretty important too
1: yeah and 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 i guess well The way I understood it, and I would love to sort of get your thoughts on it, too, and if you think it's legitimate, is that it seems like what's kind of defining a lot of these female friendships for these soldiers is Lizzie is kind of serving as this religious conduit that, uh, again, you know, Barry's thesis about women often serving as mirrors for men to reflect their understanding of themselves. It seems like in across multiple different letters, men write to Lizzie as they reflect On the state of their spirituality, which seems to be much more on off. You either are a Christian or you aren't. And that's reflected in your consistent behavior. So you can be baptized and sort of go to church for years. But then all of a sudden, if you sort of lapse out of it, you are no longer a Christian which is interesting because at least from my perspective, that's not necessarily how we think about religion today, but would you uh, agree with that kind of characterization that, you know, Lizzie is kind of serving as a religious conduit for a lot of the men, um, you know, a a way for them to engage with their spirituality.
0: Yeah, I I really, I really do. I think that she's kind of their moral compass, almost, almost in, in a sense where she's sort of religious advisor slash you know, therapists, psychos, right. Um, where, you know, they're explaining to her, you know, how they've strayed or the, you know, these thoughts that are happening in their heads and, and like someone like Carr, you know, it's because of where he's going to in Philadelphia or someone like, like Theodore, I think he's frustrated with, the condition of the army at the end of eighteen sixty-two, after Fredericksburg, and and I think you know his thoughts kind of embody those of of most of the soldiers in the army of in the army of the Potomac at the time. You know his frustrations and and how he's kind of questioning everything. Apparently, in in one of the letters that Lizzie had written to him, she talks about desertion or or encouraging him not to desert. And Theodore writes back that. You know that that's not for him, and you know he's not going to desert. And and um, so I think that Lizzie serves a role, multiple roles for these men. You know she's she's their she's their connection to home, she's their religious advisor, she's their therapist at times, she's their love interest for someone like Jacob. Um, so. Yeah, I think when we look at women in the Civil War, you know, we we I don't think we understand I don't I don't know if we fully get the picture of the important role that women played at home. I think, you know, again, talking about in general terms, we hear, oh well, women stayed at home and took care of the farms and raised the children and, you know, things like that, ran the businesses and things and things like that. But I don't think we I don't know if if maybe we fully understand the role that they played in in maintaining you know these these relationships that they had formed with either their friends or their 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 loved ones and being there just like they would be there in, in their living room you know their husbands or their cousins or whomever sitting there and 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 talking about the problems that they're that they're facing you know, unloading just like we do on our family members, you know, today, Um, except you're doing it hundreds of miles away and and you really can't kind of get a grasp of emotionally how they feel at times because the letters are, you know, a week old and you don't even know if they're still alive by the time you get these, you know, these letters. So I can't imagine that extra dimension added to it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think, again, that's the, the the incredible value of Letters to Lizzie is that it it comes into conversation with these other texts like Pete's book, War for the Common Soldier, but also, I believe, Susanna Ural's book on the Texas Brigade, talking about, you know, this. Okay, famous... right.
0: No, wait, that's not her book. Oh that's, no, that's the, the no. That,
1: that's the Connecticut. Um, yeah, that's the Connecticut troops, right? Um, but uh, yeah, and, and and I'm sorry if I, if I can't remember the name of the scholar, but the book about the Texas Brigade, which just reflects that this this famous unit was reliant and tied to the communities at home, and to sort of um bring it home and 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 ask the question that was kind of my top priority, the question that I really wanted to talk about, thinking about those other scholars and and and, and your relationship through. Letters to Lizzie and, and and the importance of these social networks. I feel in in sort of monitoring a lot of the Civil War era studies scholarship that's coming out there's almost this kind of return to the regiment, um, you know as as, as as the level of analysis um and I think you know a broken regiment, uh, which is Gordon um Leslie Gordon uh, Leslie. who yeah a, and so I wanted to ask you um do you think the social network, is a better scale of analysis because we've done, you know, the ethnic group, the individual, the regiment, the brigade. Even, you know, some guys have some scholars have done, you know, analyses of armies and army corps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think the social network could be a useful scale of analysis for studying the Civil War soldier?
0: What I find, I agree with what you said that, you know, we we really have looked at kind of all levels of, of the military structure. But I think the social network is an interesting sort of case study because you're getting people who are with, with common backgrounds, mm. um, people who are coming from the same communities. They're, they're typically the same socioeconomic class. Um, you know, a lot of times they're coming, in many cases, even from the same town. I think that they really are a community. And, you know, when we do case studies, right, we, 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 we want to see how, you know, a particular event affects a particular community. Why not study how, you know, the Civil War or serving in a Civil War regiment affected the members of a specific community? Because a regiment, although it is representative of a specific area, we all know that, you know, there are some regiments where you have New York regiments where you know, you have a lot of New Jerseyans within the regiment or, you know, Pennsylvania regiments with with New Jerseyans in it or, you know, vice versa. Right. So it may not be representative of the community where I think looking at a social network really gives us insight into into how the war affected these people.
1: Yeah. And it forces you to ground it. Um, and I think you did a really good job of grounding it. in you know, the, be- the Bethel Methodist, Church as you know, um, kind of the origin and tap root of this social network, or at least that was you know m- my characterization of your understanding. But no, you're ac- you're absolutely right, and I I know you know I I've done research on the-, the the Fifth New Hampshire before, and by 1864, the amount of people who are in the Fifth New Hampshire who are actually from New Hampshire. Is the minority you know right. it, it's it's draftees from new york and pennsylvania and all over the place so if you're studying the regiment it ha- it kind of has to be its own separate institution and, and and at a certain point it's a separate institution independent of the place it was raised you know so i think yeah. this social network um i think that's a great answer that it, it grounds you in the actual community um that you're attempting to analyze
0: yeah I really enjoyed talking to you, Ben. And, and, you know, if you ever want to talk again, I'll be more than happy to
1: absolutely to talk
0: to you again, you know, don't hesitate in in asking, you know, reaching out. Um, I really appreciate you giving me the time to talk about my research. Please thank, uh, Dr. Burry and, in, in connecting us again. Um, well you know, I really appreciate, everything he's done for me. And
1: no, I'll definitely communicate that to him. Um, And thank you for being so generous um, with your time as well, especially um, over spring break and yeah. So I just, th- th- thank you very much. Unfortunately, I need to go. I think we could talk for two more hours and I'm almost tempted yeah. to sort of, you know, <laughs> come back. Let's finish all the questions. Yes, yeah.
0: And I apologize. We spent like the first 15 minutes just kind of BSing. So
1: no, well, I, like I, that was kind of my intention with this podcast in and of itself. And as you know, like I, I'm definitely not coming to take civil war talk radio's throne, right? Like, like, like I acknowledge there's already a strong audio uh, audio medium for this field. What I wanted to do was a sort of, you know, more, long form stream of consciousness, free flowing podcast. That was really my objective with this to go longer, to do, you know, two plus hours um, of content. And honestly, what I found so far in my conversations is that, I think you really get the best insights when it's like, okay, we come back from the bathroom break and then we start talking about, Hey, how do you feel about like, you know, the, the PTSD stuff in civil war era studies, or how do you feel about using, you know, rebel and Confederate versus this, that, and the other thing, which is totally independent of the questions, which, like I said, you know, whether we get around to all of them or not.
0: Yeah, Because we really didn't get in in, into any of the post-war stuff with Lizzie's guys, because they all suffer from, the ill yeah. effects of the war and die at, many of them die at very young ages which is tragic yeah. also I, I would you know you survive the war but you don't your quality of life isn't very good after the war and i think you know uh, brian brian matthew jordan's book is so great and was so helpful uh for me and and others who've, who've really looked at post-war and and pensions and and and
1: Yeah. And and I feel like every time I do one of these episodes, I list off, like, I would love to see a book on this topic and this topic, but like, I really would love to see a book, you know, almost even by a doctor on rheumatism, because it seems like rheumatism seems to be the thing that they talk about the most, which is this arthritis. So I'd love to see a sort of scientific analysis of how does camping in the snow for four years um, affect your body in such a way that you end up dead by you know, forty six or, or or something awful yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, okay. I, I think we, we definitely could talk some more. Um, and it might be necessary too. So thank you, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. It was great talking with you. Yeah.